Welcome to another edition of Expanding Mind. I'm your host, Eric Davis, continuing our conversations about the cultures of consciousness. Uh, as uh, has been increasingly a theme on this show lately, uh, I have been meditating on the ways of in which uh, positions, interests, investments, enthusiasms uh, that I've been uh, involved in for uh, for de- for years, if not decades, have uh, increasingly been sort of returning at strange angles as they are uh, manifested, ma- manufactured, and intensified through uh, our current historical confusion. In uh, in one of those uh, is my longstanding interest in um, magic, particularly chaos magic, and uh, sort of uh, the the kind of Robert Anton Wilson approach to constructing magical realities. Uh, and when I first discovered these ideas, probably you know back in the, the mid nineteen eighties, um, they were you know they had a very strong liberatory character. Uh, they seemed to point towards a world of uh, where we were not uh, imprisoned inside of reason and science. Uh, that we could use our reason to craft uh, uh, realities that we were interested in, uh, or at the very least uh, mock and undermine realities that we were not interested in. And the basic environment of of those kinds of ideas was uh, liberatory, uh, maybe not uh, progressive exactly, uh, certainly more libertarian than anything, uh, and yet the the ideas did not come <laughs> uh, saddled with um, uh, very deep questions uh, about the course of civilization vis-a-vis problems of nationalism, of racism, of uh, reactionary politics, of war, of violence. Um, and while those uh, possibilities were always there, after all, we are talking about uh, a chaos, I was still uh, always been relatively satisfied with a certain kind of uh, enthusiasm for um, the who knows, let's do it uh, DIY approach to, uh, to reality creation. Um, and as, uh, as our, our guest today, Gary Lockman, is going to uh, talk about, uh, these ideas have, have become increasingly center stage uh, of the political reality of uh, post-Trump or rather Trumpian America, uh, not simply in terms of the breakdown of uh, reality and, and, uh, and imagination or of truth and lies, uh, but more explicitly in terms of a, uh, a particular a set of magical ideas that have uh, infused and informed uh, the growth of the alt-right in the United States, as well as uh, the l- more ongoing strange reign of, uh, of uh, Putin in Russia, which is uh, one of the great uh, features of Gary's book, is that he not only uh, breaks down some of the questions about where Trump is coming from. Trump is not exactly a follower of Aleister Crowley, but as we discover, he is uh, uh, deeply influenced by positive thinking uh, trends that actually have some very intimate connections with uh, both chaos magic um, 
and the sort of larger idea of, uh, of meme magic and reality creation. And in fact, Robert Anton Wilson himself was a, a fan of uh, some positive thinking techniques. Uh, so th these connections do go deep. But in addition to uh, going into uh, some really great material on, on Trump's own ideas about reality creation, uh, as well as a, a nice overview of the alt-right uh, uh, magic connection, which we've talked about on uh, the show in the past, uh, Gary also dives into the Russian side of things and, and tells some less less known stories, things that I had come across in the uh, magical press. Seems like people, occultists, seem to be a little more tuned into a lot of these things uh, than than normies, even though as it's becoming increasingly apparent, these ideas are are really part of the center stage. So it's a great book, Dark Star Rising: Magic and Power. Uh, in the age of Trump. And uh, I think behind uh, the, the interest in the journalistic aspects of the book, I'm also really interested in how Gary, who probably like me, has also been finding himself <laughs> wrestling and wondering with how the things that he's been interested in have, have kind of fed back in, un in peculiar ways uh, in our current moment. So I look forward to this chat very much. Gary, uh, welcome to Expanding Mind. Well, absolutely my pleasure, Eric. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So, you know, I, uh, I guess, I guess that th one of the things to, to start and I mean, we can, you know, start to go over some of the stories that I had, I had alluded to in the, in the intro. Um, but I, I guess I'm almost more interested in, a uh, to start out with your kind of gut sense, your, your intuitive sense, your, your kind of magical spidey sense feeling gut feeling about, What's going on now before we get into the details, because you've been writing about this stuff forever. You've been around these worlds forever. Not unlike me, I think you have one foot in in both worlds, like there's a foot where you're sort of operating and appreciating magical realities and esoteric currents and how they tell us more about the world than than the kind of mainstream secular view. And at the same time, having a real commitment to history, to reason, to critique, to, you know, political issues, to, you know, sort of a groundedness, let's say, that some people who follow the magical path don't. But it gives a strange kind of angle to things, stories like this, because it's it, like personally, it's hard for me to tell sometimes the degree to which these esoteric factors are now actually really affecting politics, history, imagination, you know, public imagination in a way that they haven't for for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm kind of curious, as you sort of entered into the the, the research and the, the, the journalism um, of the book, what your your kind of gut feeling was about how important these issues are, are to our moment. Well, I think I can sum that up in in um saying that in um in the book uh, towards the end i i um sort of offer the suggestion that uh, trump is the singularity that everyone's been waiting for for a while um in the sense that reality is very different um since then you know singularity is some event where the normal um everyday sort of structure of things uh, breaks down and no longer applies and um that seemed to be the case at least in sort of an epistemological sense let's say um after trump with the whole post-truth and alternative fact kind of thing and it's i i would say that's kind of the central if he's kind of an icon for that, or he's the sort of stimulant or the trigger that sort of made that thing happen. And it's exactly what you're talking about, where I just felt 
I woke up one morning and everything that had been sort of on the margins and on the fringe and which, you know, more or less you and I in different ways had to go out of our ways to find and, and learn about and all that, it was sort of smack dab in, in the middle. I mean, there were a, a few different um, things that were in the press at the time, you know, uh, sort of leading up to Trump's uh, election or just after the election and the start of his presidency that really felt like we had, you know, taken this really sudden turn um, into strangeness. Uh, so that's how I, I, I sort of feel. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, and it seemed to me that a lot of different things um, happened at the same time, which tends to be when things go strange. And in a sense, it is this kind of incursion of the occult into politics. Uh, uh, if not, um, you know, uh, an incursion again, maybe it's always been there, but now it's, you know, very much out in the public eye to, to a, a great deal, I think. Uh, but also this whole kind of, you know, the postmodern sort of sensibility where we have this great uncertainty about truth and fact and what's the difference between reality and what's the difference between its representation or, or uh, you know, and the whole create your own reality sensibility, um, of, of which the occult tradition is one part, but there's others as well. And um, basically, it, I, I felt the strangeness and other people do, and it was Mitch Horowitz, our, our, our friend, who, um, uh, he was still... Um, a commissioning editor at Penguin, uh, he he um, asked me, you know, if I do you want to do something on this, and I said yes, and so it was sort of a hit the ground running, and just followed up all the traces. But it is sort of history in the making. Um, I, I sort of uh, feel, uh, not to be too grandiose, but it does strike me as a certain kind of urgency because I do really feel that things have shifted into a, a a strange new world, and we're not quite prepared for it. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, and I, I found the the book very riveting. And as I said, the it was a, it was great to see some of. The, uh, I had done both on the show and just about a personal interest, a lot of uh, research on the alt-right and the meme magic and going into Keck and Pepe and really trying to come to terms with how that functions in the new technological environment. Uh, what what, are, what does it say about how the internet works? What does it say about how um, politics and identity politics are being waged on the internet and the way in which these things uh, feed off of each other? Uh, and so it was great to see to see that material laid out in a very clear and, um, you know, again, open-minded way. You know, I always say that when, we, when I've had you on the show before, uh, I really appreciate the way that uh, uh, that you, while telling mostly a historically grounded story that any sort of reasonable, rational person uh, would would accept even if they had no interest in in magical realities, that at the same time you leave a space for other possibilities uh, in a way that's very uh, nuanced, but but really helps communicate what's going on in a way that a strictly historical account would never get to. Uh, And so I, I think that you point out um, again, this isn't just about, uh, you know, propaganda tactics using mm. uh, the, the, the internet or using breakdowns of, of truth and, and, and fiction or truth and lies, uh, but really a sort of more, a, a little bit of more of an ontological warp, if you will, a warp in the way in which reality sort of feels. And I guess one place to ask, since you mentioned postmodernism, and there's a lot of topics to get to, but just this is one that popped in my head that's sort of interesting as you think about it, like to some degree, postmodernism has been around since the 70s. It means different things. You know, I, I there's a sort of general pop sense of it. And then there's sort of more specific things that have mm. to do with individual thinkers. But let's stay just on that kind of pop sense, that general sense that nobody, you know, there's no truth. Everything's perspectival. There's a sort of playfulness, but also a sort of nihilism. 
And, you know, if you think about it, going back to the, to the 70s, which I think is accurate, that's decades and decades of this stuff being out there, driving culture, driving music, driving fashion, driving media. You know, it's, it's, it's pervasive. It's gone through waves. It's people have even been tired of it already. Hmm. And yet those, that basic kind of worldview seems to have been radically reinvigorated, except now it's intimately part of politics and beyond that, as you say, almost seems like it is an, it is now the reality, be even behind the politics. Mm-hmm. So what happened there? How did this thing that was in a way caged within a certain mm-hmm. part of reality? So even though I was a postmodern person, I be, I'm perspectival. I don't mm-hmm. believe there's any capital T truth, blah, blah, blah. And yet I'm for in the 90s, I was still working in a world where like scientific institutions had authority, where legal institutions mm-hmm. had authority, where journalism had a pretty reasonably strong claim to like be telling like more or less a, a good version of what was going on. And that was always going on in the background. So you kind of got to have it both ways. Yes. And it feels like we don't get to have it both ways anymore. No, well, I mean, I, I, I call it uh, uh, it's the effect of trickle-down metaphysics, and, uh, and you're right to say like deconstructionism is you know sort of is, is hit the universities, uh, let's say in, in in the 70s, and uh, and of course you know it. Uh, I mean, I I think I you know I, I knew of Derrida and all that, but I, I remember the first kind of class in postmodernism I took ages ago was about architecture. It was uh, about learning from Las Vegas, um, you know, and sort of using all this kind of um, stuff that you know serious architecture uh, architects you know didn't consider thought it was just trash but now it became playful and so um, yeah it has um, <clears throat> excuse me it has sort of different specific uh, meanings and in an overall one but I mean I do think if you sort of know like I mean deconstructionism kind of comes out of Heidegger and Heidegger you know, uh, he, he begins the destruction of of being uh, in you know the 1920s with being in time and um, his sort of radical turn away from um, you know traditional Western philosophy, something had gone wrong, you know, with uh, sort of with Plato on, you know, the sort of uh, overemphasis, overemphasis on reason and rationality and so on. And uh, but even before that, you have Nietzsche talking about this kind of uh, nihilism that was on its way and it was unavoidable. It was, you know, sort of um, he just saw it coming. And it's precisely it, uh, it, it was precisely predicated on the recognition that there isn't any truth with the capital T, uh, neither science uh, in its pursuit of it, nor religion um, in its could 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 find that. And this led to this kind of, you know, from the metaphysical heights, you know, Zarathustra and thus begs Zarathustra. He's a, he's aware of this. But when he goes down to the marketplace to tell the people they're not interested, but they they're not interested in the Ubermensch, you know, the, the attempt to overcome the nihilism. But they are interested in the last man, who is this kind of character who's quite comfortable with the nihilism, he's quite happy and he doesn't mind that suddenly the burden of giving any meaning and significance to life, um, you know, he, he's happy that it's been lifted in the sense that we recognize that this is, you know, um, just some, you know, kind of uh, fallacy. Uh, and so, you know, I would say, and this is, others have said this, you know, uh, before, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying the first one to say this, but that, that we, we've sort of arrived at what Nietzsche saw was coming. And, um, the interesting thing is that it's become kind of um, a blasé, commonplace acceptance. It isn't something that's striking. I mean, at least a generation or so earlier, or perhaps more, you know, the existentialists were worried about all this, and they went through sort of crises and, and, and all that kind of thing. But we seem to sort of just accept it as kind of the, you know, this sort of whateverism about it. Uh, and, and, and so I, I think that that's kind of set uh, this kind of atmosphere in which 
Um, yeah, okay, if that's if that's true, that there is no truth, capital T, and we don't have to worry about you know the kind of strictures of science and logic and rationality, um, which you know postmodern and deconstructionist thinkers from Derrida and, and so on and so on have been had been saying for such a long time, then. Um, People suddenly thought, well, well, let's take advantage of that. Let's create the kind of reality we want, you know. And so um, it, it all—it's—it's it's that sort of thing where various from various different perspectives, things that each on their own might have, you know, not caused too much trouble, but when they fit together, uh, they kind of lock into some um, something that's larger. Than, yeah. Than, and then and then each one of them, and I I think that's what you know that, that's sort of what happened, you know, and 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 at the same time, you know, we, we in the sort of occult esoteric community, you know, we have a certain uh, share in this because we too have not been happy with the idea of the you know the kind of reductionist materialist science and the too strict idea about logic and so on and so on. So we wanted to loosen those things up too, but the thing is, you know. It, 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 I, I think that's happened, but it's happened in a way that not everyone was sort of wanting it to happen. Exactly. And that and that's part of the, the interesting thing. I mean, it's a lot of stuff you said is really great. And uh, one of the points about a lot of different things happening at the same time, and that's also where you get into ch uh, changes in media and, and the Internet mm. and social media and all that kind of stuff, like because that creates that is a sort of historical event. It's something that we can talk about very, you know, technologically. We it's it's not some you know metaphysical concept. It's just you know wires and screens and you know flows and but that nonetheless that very concrete condition, you know, almost in a Marshall McLuhan kind of way, the medium is the message that the state of our media now seem to you know provide the perfect uh, sort of ecology for. A variety of these ideas, um, which is an interesting thing. But the 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 I think the to get to the politics part of it, and this is this is one where in a way this is a way the question I walked away with is the way in which the postmodern situation seems to have availed itself to multiple and even contradictory political positions. So I'll, <laughs> here's how I'll put it. So from in its reign from the 70s through you know, recently, whatever, the last, you know, last decade or so, uh, postmodernism was associated with the progressive left, with, the multi with multiculturalism. Everybody's got their own kind of perspective. Uh, truth is local. So the truths that have oppressed people uh, or have, have their own historical baggage. We can't look to uh, Western white males to give us the answer anymore because they've been part of the oppressor class, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this has kind of created part of the the very f uh, framework of identity politics today, where like not only is uh, is identity multiple and have multiple perspectives, but it's a moving target. You're kind of inventing it as you go along. And that's where we get into gender fluidity and the new pronouns and all this stuff. So all of that can be seen the way somebody like Jordan Peterson sees it as postmodernism, postmodernism. Mm -hmm. Postmodern Marxism, which it's, it's a totally stupid phrase, but I don't want to talk about Jordan Peterson. <clears throat> um, but what we've seen now in the last five years in the Trump zone and the just before up to up to Trump is this very strange world where the majority of these postmodern moves, nihilism, playfulness, inventiveness, irony, uh, self-referentiality, uh, 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 cut and cut and splice uh, culture. All of this stuff has been attached to these very. Uh, reactionary positions to mm. traditionalism, to racism, to nationalism. And I wanted to tell one little story and then I want to hear how you 
account for that and, and how we think about that now. The, it really came through to me when I was reading a pretty can't remember whether Milo wrote the article. It was a, it was a while back, but there was a uh, when when the alt right was really starting to hit people who were paying attention to uh, politics in the lead up to the election. There was um, a, a kind of you know uh, alt rights guide to the alt right that went around, and it was like mm. it broke down the various sort of subunits of you know the neo reactionary position and the neo Nazi and all these kind of different things. And what was weird about reading it was it gave me a, such a creepy feeling is that it was written in a very postmodern way. It was playful, funny, ironic, uh, knowing self mocking, also mocking of others, uh, exuberance, kind of goofy, you know, giddy, all of these kind of tones. And I'm reading along and I'm going, okay, okay, okay. And then there would be these certain moments where the playfulness would go away, the irony would go away, and there was some authentic statement of a position like uh-huh. white people are have a historical – there's a historical reason we rule the world or whatever it is. Uh-huh. I don't remember uh-huh. exactly. But, yeah, yeah. but it was as if the game was that you can bring in all of that postmodern stuff, all of those moves, all of that feeling – you know, uh, and then, but it's attached to some belief or commitment or dogma or fundamental knowingness, a kind of rightness uh-huh. that is not very postmodern. Uh-huh. Um, and that almost creates this engine for like a new kind of reaction and that you then go into describe in very rich detail, particularly in Russia, the way that reactionary uh-huh. Uh-huh. ideas have been coupled with very wild and weird postmodern meta commentary screwing with like uh, falsehood and, tr- and truth in all sorts of ways. So it seems like postmodernism itself almost like it, it kind of kept at bay a certain sort of reactionary position that in some sense maybe was always possible. And yet somehow we've turned a corner and those two things, they're not oil and water anymore. They've somehow mm-hmm. found a way to go together. Well, I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I guess the easy answer is that postmodernism is, is, is more or less neutral. I mean, it has to be uh, by definition or, uh, you know, it, 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 it sort of doesn't posit, it doesn't have a positive content. You know, it's post. It's, it's whatever came after modernism. You know, we no longer believe in modernism. And, you know, so there's a variety of different things that it's not. Uh, but it doesn't really have a positive content. Uh, but as you say, it was sort of initially used by the left. Although you have to remember, though, you said it comes out of Heidegger, and we all know Heidegger, um, you know, had some very interesting things to say about uh, national socialism and, and, and never sort of, um, you know, uh, said anything about it later. Um, in, in, in his career. And also, um, uh, you know, one of the great uh, names I remember back when I was uh, back, went back to university in the 80s uh, in the deconstructionist was Paul DeMann. And he had had a career uh, prior to becoming a very big, um, you know, uh, deconstructionist academic um, um, uh, in, in Belgium. And he had written, you know, quite a few things um, for some of the Nazi, you know, papers at the time and all that. So, I mean, you know, whether that's gossip or not, but it's still, it's kind of like, it, it isn't sort of, I mean, it's sort of like acid or it's sort of like psychedelics. I mean, they're neutral, you know, you know, you, you take it, you have a trip and all that, but there's no guarantee that you're going to, you know, um, go to heaven and, you know, you take the other false step and, and, you know, you're on your way to hell and so on. And so there's a neutrality to it. Uh, and I guess it's a sort of thing where, you know, if you're going to liberate, if you're going to take something apart, which is basically what it's doing, um, 
unless you have some positive content to put in its place, uh, you, you, you leave a void. Uh, you leave something open. There's a vacuum there. And as I say, postmodern doesn't have a positive content, but by definition it doesn't. You know, just like tolerance. You must be tolerant of something. You can't just be tolerant. Uh, and, and so um, uh, what happened is people just wised up. You know, uh, you know they just wised up like, well, if uh, all truths are relative and if there isn't any absolute truth and if all cultures, you know, in this multicultural vision, all cultures are sort of equidistant from, you know, uh, uh, re you know reality, uh, uh, you know, all, all, all cultures have, you know, uh, are, are of equal value, um, it, you, you kind of lose – any kind of moral or ethical or truth fulcrum against which you can balance yourself when you want to criticize, you know, other other truths and this is a, or other realities. I mean, um, it, it's sort of what are you standing on when you want to say, well, no, no, that that culture uh, is is wrong. You know, you, you, that that kind of collapses, and so people have just taken advantage of that now. And so, uh, yeah, I, I agree. There's the kind of uh, there's the leftist postmodernism that that, that um, Jordan Peterson uh, goes on about, and then, but there's also um, postmodernism in Russia uh, it, it, it being used for um, uh, authoritarian. A regime, um, you know, during the years when Vladislav Surkov was um, uh, Putin's uh, political technologist, and he created this whole virtual reality world for the majority of Russians uh, because they had, he had control of the media, um, and just in, invented things left and right and had it going and all that. Uh, and he and the whole ethos behind it was the postmodern cynicism that well, there isn't any real reality; everything is is appearance and 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 show and interpretation and PR. So just sit sit back and we'll entertain you. And you, you've also you know your your standard of living is much higher than it's been in quite some time. And so we'll just you know we'll just create this kind of alternative reality um, that was more or less the kind of world that most Russians were living in for for quite some time. So again, so you have postmodernism in that sense being used for uh, the opposite kind of end. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a weapon. It's a sensibility. You know, it's the whole idea that anything goes, really. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> once that genie is out of the bottle, once the, the lid is off that box, um, it's hard to uh, control that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's also what I've been th uh, thinking about lately is just that it's not, it's not, be, it's like, you, you can't say, oh, well, look, Oh, postmodern did postmodernism did this. If we hadn't have been hoodwinked by those postmodern fellows, we wouldn't have had this kind of thing to be uh, taken advantage mm -hmm. of. And it seems to me that while there's you know an element of that, and that if you were someone who was interested in those ideas, you you bear some responsibility the same way that we as occultists bear some degree of responsibility mm -hmm. or some kind of ethical. Uh, come, you know, whatever, come up ends to kind of see how things have been played out. I think it's more that that something has shifted in almost what you would call unspoken values, like almost uh, mm. moral values that aren't grounded necessarily in a particular worldview or a particular argument about reality or a particular claim that God makes or whatever, mm. but that there was nonetheless a kind of you know, moderately constrained sense, at least in the West, of what you could, what you could or should get away mm -hmm. with, and that's mm. just gone. So mm. everything that can mm. be weaponized is being oh, weaponized. Yes, no, you're Everything. right. Everything. Right. Science, reason, postmodernism, fashion, the occult, PR, you know, and it's the, that the elements were always there, but now it's just like everything everything is open. Uh and 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 that's a really, you know, kind of disorienting 
Um, well, I mean, that's generally a formula formula for somebody to come along and, and put things in order. I mean, that's, you know, uh, um, uh, in, in Russia, that that condition of sort of chaos in a way didn't have to be uh, sort of inculcated uh, by any regime because it actually happened in the country's history with the breakdown of, you know, the Soviet Union, early 90s, and then the Yeltsin years and all that. And, you know, things just fell apart and Russia went into freefall in the late 90s. And so it, it's it's perfectly reasonable, uh, whatever you think of him, for someone like Putin to come along and kind of put everything together. Um, what's happening, I guess some people believe in the States, is that, you know, it's kind of something it 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 started a couple of years ago and it's being you know sort of getting itself going on the inside and it's uh, um rather than you know some catastrophic historical event you know leading to it it's kind of like um the this the the halls of power are trying to generate it themselves but just one second getting back to postmodern but I, I in a way um uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's not so much that the postmodernists are doing this or that um is that the postmodern condition is such that allows for these kinds of things and and do i I, I also I do. I think you can say there have been some militant, you know, postmodernists on the left. Let's say that that have, you know, taken advantage of it to try to, you know, promote, you know, their view of things. But I, I think they didn't consider the consequences of of of, of weaponizing, you know, uh, epistemology. Mm. You might say, you know, at, because you say once you open up that door, that okay, what is truth? Which we all know, you know, we don't know the answer to that, and we, you know. People have been asking it forever, but when you sort of get to the point, well, it doesn't really matter anymore. It's not so much what is truth; it's like which truth is going to sort of win out here in this situation, and that's when it becomes, you know, uh, dangerous. Well, let's talk about about Trump and particularly the the story that you you tell unearthing his debt uh, to and the influences from. Uh, positive thinking from Norman Vincent Peale, from other characters. And this is, of course, part of what, uh, you know, uh, why Mitch Horowitz brought this project to you, because Mitch is, is you know, is the, the most important person thinking and writing about uh, positive thinking right now as a, as a crucial element of American spirituality, of American culture, and also one that he takes seriously more than most intellectuals or, you know, people are like, oh, whatever, that's just, you know, false uh, positivism, whatever, you know, who needs it? Uh, uh, and he's really willing to look at it, not only to say that this is important historically, but that there's some truth in it. We're not sure exactly what it is, but there's there's clearly some payoff there, particularly depending on the environment. And, and Trump certainly seems to be someone whose own rather vulgar form of uh, of positive thinking is perfectly designed for this breakdown or or, you know, phase shift that we're uh, that we're involved in. So, what what did you discover about his own debt to it? Was it was there, was he more of was it more important to his story than you thought initially, or you know how how did you come to see his behavior differently by seeing him in in the context of this movement of positive thinking in hmm. America? Well, I mean, it it it, it had come out as you know pe- people knew um, you know in in um, articles about him that he um, was a devotee of. Um, Reverend Norman Vincent Peale, um, uh, who wrote um, the book *Power Positive Thinking*, came out in um, 1952, I believe, and it was a you know a huge success. Peale had already had a career on the radio and uh, done you know I think a book or two uh, earlier. And again, he came out of this tradition of new thought. Um, he produced a kind of Christianized. Uh, uh, a version of it, uh, a kind of uh, what what they call sort of the prosperity gospel, um, and um, but uh, new thought itself. I mean, the phrase new thought 
as as Mitch points out in in, in um, his writing about it, comes from uh, Emerson, in one of Emerson's um, essays. He he coins this phrase "new thought," uh, and. Um, it's out of that sort of transcendental school of 19th century American uh, literature and philosophy, Emerson, Thoreau, and, and others, um, that we, it's, it's in that that we find the roots of this. And again, it's a very American idea. It's a very, uh, the idea of um, you know, self-reliance, uh, of uh, sort of the independent mind, of not relying on tradition, uh, not relying on some sort of outside source of authority, uh, but finding um, you know, um, the creative power and 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 determination and will, you know, within to to um, you know succeed basically, but not in this kind of um, what's since become a kind of you know very uh, materialist uh, oriented sense of success or power oriented, but you know to sort of become a full living, active, you know, vital um, uh, human being, a spirit, and all that. And then uh, it, uh, it, people like William James, you know, the great American philosopher and psychologist. Uh, who practically invented sort of clinical psychology or, or, or academic university psychology. Um, he, too, was very interested in it. Uh, we know he was interested in mystical experiences and, and the paranormal. Uh, but um, he suffered from a variety of, of sort of uh, illnesses and ailments, uh, angina and depression and, and others, sort of nervous uh, kind of conditions. And um, he cured himself of, of some of these through using what was called mind cure at the time. And he wrote about it in, in varieties of religious experience. And then he also lobbied, uh, I think, in Massachusetts uh, against legislation that was, um, uh, you know, uh, proposed in order to, you know, severe, severely uh, curtail sort of the activities and the publications of the kind of mind cure kind of thing. So, you know, again, if you're open-minded, as it, as it were, or expanded-minded, if your mind is willing to expand um, and not just dismiss it as this kind of, you know, on one hand kind of wishful thinking or on the other a kind of, you know, snake oil, you know, sold by, by hucksters, um, you, you see that it has its roots in, in, in um, you know, very intelligent people who are very influential and important in American history. And it even goes back further. You know, you can push it back to sort of the uh, the sort of hermetic school out of Alexandria and, and so on and so on. But I mean, more immediately, it's from there. And um, so in a way, I had to admit, when I, years ago, I used to, uh, when I lived in Los Angeles, I used to work at a place called the Bodhi Tree Books Bookstore that was quite famous in its day. And um, it had a used book section, and I, I, I used to work in there quite a bit. And uh, you, you, you know, people bringing their books to, to to sell to you. And uh, anytime there was something like you know Ralph Waldo Trine or Ernest Holmes or Napoleon Hill, all these kind of new thought. Uh, mental science, sort of uh, think and grow rich kind of books. We used to joke about them and just kind of, you know, chuck them across the room because, you know, they just seem so sort of shallow and, 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 and so on. But uh, it, it was, to me, a bit of a learning experience to, to see um, how deep into uh, more serious uh, sort of soil uh, uh, the roots of this sort of stuff go. Um, but um, uh, specifically Peel, he had read many of the sort of classic New Thought writers like Ernest Holmes and Ralph Waldo Trine and Napoleon Hill and others like this, and um, fund fundamentally the idea is that you know if you can visualize uh, a wish, some aim, some some something you want to bring about or to have happen, um, intently, you know, very vividly, um, persistently enough, 
and with a kind of um, earnestness, you know, a, a real sort of, you know, belief in it in some way. Um, and you, you sort of kind of inculcate in yourself a sense that whatever it is that you want to bring about has already happened. It's already taken place. You know, it's not so much that you want to make it happen. It's, it already has. And you're just waiting you know, for it to, to show up. Um, this is, some, you know, the whole idea that thoughts are causative, that, you know, um, as I've been saying in, in – uh, some of the interviews, unlike Vegas, you know, what happens in the mind doesn't necessarily stay there. You know, it goes out, goes out into the world. It projects itself out into the world around us. Um, and that, that idea, too, goes back to people like Swedenborg and, and others. So, again, there's some more prestigious uh, or, let's say, esoteric highbrow um, sort of roots for something that may immediately seem a bit shallow and superficial. Um, but Peel repackaged these ideas in this Christian, you know, um, kind of message. And um, Trump's family, his father used to go to the sermons at um, uh, the Marble Collegiate Church on Fifth Avenue, New York. Trump himself, you know, when he was a young boy, he was married there, I think twice. And uh, he took it to heart, you know, the, the kind of um, positive thinking, you know, uh, if, 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 if you think something, if you, you know, firm enough in your belief, it will become true. And one of the central themes that, that Peel, um, would uh, come back to is that uh, facts aren't what's important, it's your attitude towards the facts. This is something that he got from the psychologist Carl Menninger. But it's also something that goes back to the Stoics, you know, uh, Epictetus, you know, it's not um, things that affect us, it's our ideas about things. So it's a way in which, you know, with Epictetus and the Stoics, it's a way to deal with the very uncertain and uh, bruising world so that you're not too affected by everything. And it, ha it has some resonances with the kind of Buddhist attachment. But in the positive thinking way, it's more, you know, you have a more aggressive attitude towards um, the world out there. So rather than just accept what comes to you um, in, in, in a stoic way, as it were, you, you are more actively involved in, in, in changing and manipulating things. And um, in the sense that Trump he took this to heart in the sense that, you know, he was utterly convinced that he was a winner and, you know, he's always speaking in this affirmative sort of way and he's, um, uh, everything is positive at, at, at all times. And if you read any of his uh, sort of self-help books like The Art of the Deal, I mean, they're full of positive thinking um, uh, from beginning to end. And so, um, I mean, okay, so that, that in a way was out in the open. If you read, you know, biographies of Trump already, you sort of would have, you, 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 you would have known this. But the strange thing that I found was when I started to follow that trail um, was that, I mean, what's the one word you would associate with Trump's you know, presidency so far? Lying. <laughs> well, I guess I would say chaos. I, 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 okay, okay, maybe there's two words. But, I, but, but, um, uh, but you know, I, they're, not, they're not unrelated. All right. So I, 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 I would say chaos, you know, and uh, at first it seems like it's just inefficiency and incompetence and ineptitude and, you know, all, all of the late night sort of enigmatic tweets and, you know, the sudden changes in hiring and firing and, you know, yes, the summit's on, no, it's off, yes, it's on, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there is this sense in which he's, he's generating this kind of uncertainty and disturbance and, and um, sort of insecurity, um, both in his actions, you know, this thing's on, it's not on, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm ready to go to war. No, I'm not, <laughs> you know, uh, but also again, in the epistemological sense and where he's playing around with reality all the time. And again, another thing that he does is he presents this kind of image and this kind of glamour, um, uh, this kind of larger than life I uh, identity or self image that he projects. And it, it sort of, 
And we haven't talked about this directly yet, but when, you, you know, when I was following up the story about Richard Spencer and the alt-right and the idea that they had somehow, you know, willed Trump into the White House, you know, using meme magic over the internet and all this kind of thing and meme magic being a sort of variant or an offshoot of chaos magic that somehow the idea that you have okay uh, a positive thinking president who's you know steeped in this kind of tradition of new thought um then you have uh, these sort of fellow travelers um supporters of his on 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 the extreme who according to this account they are you know they themselves uh, have, have said that they somehow willed or dreamed uh, Trump into office, and again through the internet, uh, again through a variant of kind of chaos magic, and Trump himself is this kind of, you know, master of chaos, as it were. I mean, that it, it kind of slipped in, in a way, um, it, uh, sort of uh, the morphology seemed very similar, sort of what he was doing naturally seemed very much like a lot of the tenets of, 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 of chaos magic, and so you, and again, the odd thing was that both chaos magic and positive thinking are very results driven. You know, they're very much about making something happen and making something specific happen. Um, and the more I read up about both of them, it struck me that the techniques involved, the sort of methodology is, is not very different. So there was this kind of strange, there's the upfront thing about him being involved with new thought. And then there's this strange sort of way in which, um, his style suggested, you know, um, a kind of natural or unconscious uh, sort of, um, you know, uh, openness or amenability to sort of the, you know, the way a, a chaos magician would, would uh, you know, practice. Yeah, it's a, in a way, it's an example of the kind of uh, synchro mysticism that you mentioned at one point and that, you know, people have uh, kind of gone gone down the, the sort of the, the way in which you can go down rabbit holes of, uh, of postmodern media and discover these strange kind of synchronicities. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a it's sort of a major in your face form. And again, like I mentioned earlier, I think one of the, the interesting things is, is that the, there's always that element in chaos magic because you know, 70s British chaos magic guys, like, you know, they had multiple influences. Obviously, there was Spare and there was some aspects of Crowley. Uh, but Robert Robert Anton Wilson was super important. Illuminatus mm -hmm. was very important. And that's, again, you find exactly that thing inside of Wilson. You you dig down into, well, what was he actually doing? Like, what were his, what were his personal practices like? You know, mm -hmm. and some, some of them were like, you know, taking acid and doing, you know, <laughs> thelemite rituals. But some of it was just straight up, Christian science, positive thinking, mm. mind cure stuff. And so there is a weird, it's the, it, and it, I think it has to do with that pragmatism that you talk about. It's about an emphasizing getting things done, uh, accepting and even fomenting a chaotic situation wherein your ability to get things done is increased, uh, and, and it not being tied to some larger, uh, necessary moral or plan or, or vision. So it makes it a kind of technique that can be used mm -hmm. in multiple situations. Um, and I think that that connection then is really, uh, is, is, is really key. Uh, and the, the, the sort of, you know, in a way like it, it, it again, brings this question. Is it like, it's, it's not really the fault of the technique Oh no! It's the there the techniques take place inside larger conditions that are moral, or they have a moral aspect, or they have a a larger vision, or they don't have a larger vision. And when those larger visions are gone, and it's just selfishness, 
and, and it's just uh, resentment or it's violence or it's dislike of the other, then those things go, you know, get, get wonky really, really fast. Uh, and, and that seems to be part of what we're, you know, what, what we're, what we're witnessing. I'm curious if you've seen, you know, you mentioned the fact that like the sort of, you know, Pepe, Pepe, once he was useful, uh, you know, once there was all this mean magic to get the guy into office, it kind of petered out. You don't really see it that much. It's not in your face. It's not, Mm. doesn't. And when you dive, when you dip into that world, it doesn't seem to be that charged right now. I'm curious if you see, you know, you know, wearing those synchro mystical glasses that recognize <laughs> the the chaos magic dimension of the Trump phenomena. Are you seeing things now that that suggest that beyond the the kind of the performance of chaos in the mm-hmm. the White House as a sort of modus operandi? But are you are you do you see other elements of that kind of mythical side of things uh, mm. showing up in terms of the the contemporary the Trump White House? Mm. Um, uh, well, m- maybe not so much um, in in the Trump sort of scene, but but to, you know, to be honest, and I'm sure you understand this being a writer yourself, you know, uh, you finish a project and you're on to the next thing. And uh, what I've been focusing on, um, I've a, I'm working on a follow up book about about Russia. You know, as you said I have. Um, a chapter or two in, in the book in Dark Star about that, but um, I sort of take that as a springboard and and, and carry on. But uh, just before I go on a bit, I just wanted to say the last thing I like to do is stigmatize chaos magic or chaos magicians as in some way complicit or um, you know an agency you know to you know uh, bring Trump or anybody else in, into in, into power in office. You know, it's like you say, it's a it's a technique, it's a methodology, um, and. Um, it's also, uh, you know, when you, it's the kind of thing you can think about, like, uh, you know, the chaos magic is into NLP a lot, and this, and sort of the kind of thing like Darren Brown might do, and sort of, you know, the whole misdirection sort of thing, and um, being able to manipulate people, and that's something that, you know, we state, we like stage magicians to do that. We don't get angry when they do that. We actually, you know, we enjoy it in some way. But when sort of demagogues or gurus or you know, larger uh, public political figures do it, it's the kind of thing we should be very aware aware of. And uh, that's another aspect in which I think, you know, um, th- these techniques are being used, um, um, you know, in the sort of you know, public address to, to the larger uh, uh, mass, mass consciousness. But, uh, um, well, I mean, in, in terms of what's happening now, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think in a way my feeling is that um, maybe I'm off the radar, but my feeling that things in terms of kind of active um, sort of aggressive, you know, incursions of stuff seem a bit, you know, uh, kind of quiet, or at least maybe I haven't picked up on them yet because I've been immersed in in basically reading about the history of Russia, and because uh, I'm working on this whole idea about Holy Russia, that is, is touched on in, in Dark Star, but uh, that seems to be the new uh, kind of meme, let's say, you know, uh, the sort of meme in, in a way that. Um, uh, is reaching back into uh, sort of Russia's past in this uh, in this search that uh, certainly now uh, is very urgent, but has always been a part of Russian history, kind of a search for its own identity. Um, so, um, well, I mean, we 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 have about ten minutes left here, and so let's okay. let's talk about Russia a little bit since that's what you, what's going on. And one of the things that uh, that I learned, you know, that I uh, from and I again I'd read about some of the main characters that you're talking about, but you really kind of dig down into the sense of a of a kind of clash of civilizations point of view that that some of the ideology driving 
uh, contemporary Russia, which is both, uh, you know, providing some kind of metaphysical substance to the, the question of the identity of Russia, but is also part of this kind of weird mix of postmodernism and traditionalism and the return of, of, of uh, religion uh, oh. to the contemporary uh, Russian uh, scene. So, and but you, the, the the these ideas about about Eurasia and the way in which mm-hmm. they relate to the West, the way in which it sets up a kind of clash of yes. civilization. So, I, I I thought that was very valuable and it might be helpful for listeners. So, if you mm. could take take some uh, time. Yeah. No. No. I, no. I'd like to. I mean, um, you know, we were talking earlier about how, uh, say, during the two thousands, so that decade into sort of the first couple years of this one. Um, this whole idea of the political technologist Vladislav Surkov kind of being master of ceremonies um, for reality, you know, he weaponized reality uh, um, for, um, you know, for Russia there. And um, that, that held sway for a long time, but then it, it sort of fatigued. There was kind of a reality fatigue after a while. And I think um, in a way, um, what, what, what it shifted to was sort of the, the polar opposite from a kind of anything goes Everything is entertainment, you know, there's no real truth, you know, don't get in a fuss about all that. Just sit back and sort of relax the show, uh, relax and enjoy the show um, <clears throat> to something that's, again, this whole idea of, of, of the tradition and traditional values. And uh, it's this notion of, um, as has come up in different times in Russian history, as, as sort of this notion of the third Rome where uh, you know you have the you have the Rome, the first Rome, then it fell, and then you have Constantinople, which is the second Rome, uh, it, it, uh, you know Istanbul today, and then that that falls to the Turks in 1453, and um, in about the 10th century or so, uh, perhaps a little earlier, uh, Russia, early Russia, uh, what's called Kievan Rus, they had accepted wholesale, you know, lock, stock, and barrel with any question at all uh, Greek Orthodox Christianity and um, with the fall of Constantinople the idea was Moscow had become the third Rome and it it, it, it had its hands on the pure uh, true you know teaching the, the 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 true faith and there was some idea that it had this historical mission uh, to basically if not so much spread the word as actually be 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 the nation out of which or be the people out of which this planetary global new civilization would arise a kind of spiritual based civilization of you know harmony and and unity and and so on and you have quite a few different um philosophers and religious thinkers in 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 russian history uh talking about this but then um it 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 in the early years before well the years just before the russian revolution you had this fantastic flowering of this kind of mystical uh culture and the uh, period called the silver age and um then that was all clamped down by the bolsheviks but since the since sort of the fall of the you know soviet union um a lot of the thinkers that had hitherto been prescribed and and verboten uh were you know now accessible and so it was a lot of people from that period and as i said kind of this fatigue with the virtual reality set in and there was an appetite for something more solid and something that people could sort of hold on to and believe in you know it was like the polar opposite from going you know from the idea that having any kind of beliefs was sort of naive and 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 and, and rather foolish to now there's a sense for some kind of strong stable uh solid tradition and belief and they're revitalizing this idea of 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 holy russia and uh russia in some way having this kind of planetary mission and this is linked to this notion of eurasia uh eurasia is the idea that 
Russia, rather than being a backward cousin of Europe, you know, never quite catching up and never quite being able to uh, adapt to Western ideas of, you know, liberal democracy and the free market and so on and so on, um, it, it, it actually is the, the sort of the birthing ground of this, this new civilization that's, that's coming into its own now in, in the 21st century. And this more or less goes back to the idea of the, the German philosopher of history, Oswald Spengler, who was very famous in the early 20th century. When he wrote a book called *The Decline of the West*, and his fundamental idea was that you know th there isn't this kind of linear, sequential history that uh, sort of the Enlightenment um, uh, would have it, where you know sort of one civilization after another, and you know is the past leading up to us now and the present, and we're the modern and we're the most advanced, and and so on. Rather, there um, there were different sort of civilizations in the same way they were different flowers in a garden, and they're all not sort of working up to being one big flower. They're all individual flowers, and they 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 grow, they're born, they grow, they mature, um, and and they die. And um, so you have this idea of this kind of this is an early kind of version of sort of cultural relativism, you know, this early version of sort of the multipolar sort of world, rather than having the kind of one world idea, where Western, you know, democracy and free market values are, you know. Uh, as Francis Fukuyama said in the you know 90s, you know it was the end of history because the collapse of the Soviet Union. So now free market ideas, um, you know, have the green light to spread uh, over the planet, and, which you know they gradually have, and uh, that kind of thing is totally anathema to someone like uh, this fellow Alexander Dugan, who is uh, this remarkable <laughs> has a remarkable career as a um, he's got a quick. Uh, political quick change artist. He, he sort of adopted a variety of different, uh, mostly far right, extreme um, uh, political stances and, and ideologies, which he mixes up in, in, in strange, again, postmodern kinds of ways, taking bits and pieces of them. But he he is a devotee of Julius Evola, the the Italian, um, you know, uh, far right uh, esoteric thinker, and comes out of the school of traditionalism, which again uh, believes in this kind of you know. Uh, Traditional organic society, something along the caste systems, uh, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and so, the, again, it's it's unclear exactly how much influence, if influence, or how much of Dugan's ideas get to Putin. But um, I think if you're aware of events in the last, you know, whatever decade or so, and if you pay attention to Putin's speeches and you pay attention to sort of Dugan's rhetoric, you can see in many places where, you know, um, it's it's clear that he's reading him. And even some of his political actions, I, I think, can be traced back to this idea of Eurasia, this new super civilization that's growing. And it's it's involved in this absolute constant fundamental battle uh, that Dugan sees between um, the Eurasian heartland, the mother of all continents, and um, what he calls the Atlanticists. And this is the seafaring Western powers, so the United States, the UK, NATO, uh, and all that. And the, the, these two fundamentally different and antithetical civilizations are in this kind of constant war, uh, or they have been, and that's the motor of history. But well, well, you know, one of the, one of the, just to interrupt, one of the things that yeah. interests me about that, that view is how much the, the, the view of the Atlanticists as being seafaring um, creates an almost kind of ar archetypal signature that resembles a lot of the postmodern stuff we were talking about initially because it's all about fluidity. It's oh, yeah, exactly, counter. exactly. It's exactly. all, you know, it's, it's got a consumer, you know, it's about consumer products and creating global markets exactly. of, of differences that are being distributed. So it's it's strange how it's it, it really kind yeah. of 
loops around to, to what we were talking about initially. I mean, I, I mean, I think if you want to go down to the metaphysical roots, it's the contrast between being and becoming, you know, which is something that's central to uh, traditionalism and it's essential to Evola, the, the, the sort of messy, inchoate world of becoming. Um, is you know uh, this kind of well, it's it's a mess, it's chaos, and against that you have this the stable, fixed, you know, uh, unmoving point of being. Um, you know whether it's sort of Shiva and Shakti, or um, you know sort of the difference between Heraclitus and Parmenides. But it is this kind of fundamental, elemental kind of contrast between the fluidity of things, as you say, and this kind of you know uh, stability and 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 static unity. But obviously each side has virtues and has vices and. We all know, you know, in the Tao, they're all kind of, they're kind of connected together. Uh, but uh, Dugan does see that the, the he, he, he has a vehement or he has expressed an absolutely vehement hatred of the United States. Even, you know, um, there was a book about his ideas, you know, based on a quote of his saying the American empire must be destroyed. But uh, in, in recent years, or at least right after the Trump's election, he softened his uh, sort of rhetoric on this, and even saying that he would, he would like Mr. Trump to call him, but you know, I, I imagine you know, given all the trouble Trump had with talking to Russians, he he probably wouldn't have called him anytime soon. <laughs> um, but um, you know, but but then again, the kind of bromance between Trump and Putin sort of broke down a bit too. And um, again, I, I recent things I've seen of Dugan on online, he seems it seems to have, he's not quite as influential as he had been. Right. Well, that, but that's think, it. That, but, that's, but, 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 but I think Putin sort of picks him up and puts him down, you know, when necessary kind of thing, just right. as Trump did. You know, Bannon isn't around anymore, but Bannon's right. ideas, you know, were very helpful. So, yeah, that well, we, we, we have to pretty much wind up. We got just got a minute left. But just one comment about that is, you know, one of the things of being uh, aware of the chaos side of things and, and looking at things through that. Uh, view, which is both productive and 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 uh, enchanted and and nature based. You know, the Tao is a kind of form of chaos, as well as the sort of destructive, uh, maddening, you know, dark side of psychedelic side of it. Is that things change so that Absolutely. even Ban? You know, we start talking about Bannon, and then we start imagining this whole thing, and then oh, he's gone. Oh well, oh, okay, well, something else happened. Yeah. I mean, he's not entirely gone because he's well. still working hard in his own domain, but in terms of really being able to assume that we have an idea of the deep forces that are operating mm-hmm. specifically in any condition, uh, even that is, is uh, clearly uh, uh, up for grabs. Well, I mean, think things are in flux, uh, that, that's for sure. I mean, you know, by the time the book came out, because uh, uh, it was it was you know quite some time, and I thought, oh God, so much of this is going to be old news. Uh, but then it kind of, you know, uh, yeah, there's a lot of not a lot, but there's some stuff that's old news. Um, but uh, not, and, not too but, much. I still well, recommend some, people. Believe me, I'm not. I'm not I'm no way giving you a reason not to read the book, but I'm 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 I'm, I'm just I'm just recognizing the fact that if you're kind of working in journalism, which I did in this book, and I'm I'm usually you know more kind of historically based studies about dead people, uh, you know, so uh, this is kind of on the run, you know, so you know things change, especially now, you know, things change. I mean, the the old British saying is like uh, two week you know, a week is a long time in politics, but uh, an hour. You know, it was a long time in in in, in politics now. But you know, you right. mentioned Bannon, but but he's we're, he's we're gonna he, have to hey Gary, we're gonna have to uh, okay, wrap I'll, it I'll up. Let it go. Next time. Okay. Thanks a lot, uh, Gary Lockman. My pleasure. Take care, Excellent. Eric. Bye. Uh, Gary Lockman, Dark Star Rising. Until next week. Keep your minds open.